remained faithful unto his people. You have a reason to say thank you, Father, for giving you the privilege, for giving us the privilege to be part of another Father's Day. Does your heart tell you anything good that the Lord has done for you? Can you look back and count your blessings? Can you say, God, thank you very much for your faithfulness. Thank you for your faithfulness upon my family. The kidnappers are everywhere. Evil has taken unprecedented level in our land. But in spite of all this, God has remained faithful to those whose hearts are fixed on him. Father, we thank you, we worship you, we glorify and exalt your holy name. Father, we acknowledge your faithfulness in our lives, in the lives of our families, in the life of this church, 
Father, we see your faithfulness every day. Father, we are most grateful to you for giving us another opportunity to gather in your presence. Father, you are here to talk to us. I'm only a vessel, O Lord. Father, I hand myself over to you. I pray that you speak through me the word that will edify us, that will make us better fathers, that will make us better mothers, that will make us better children, that will make us families that will meet your original design, your original desire for the Christian home. So that, Father, as we take care of our home fronts, our society will be better. Our nation will be better. The world will be better. And the glory will be yours in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for in Jesus' name we have prayed. I want to thank our daddy in the Lord, Venerable Professor Sam Ike, and the other clergies, and indeed the entire church, for giving me this opportunity to stand here. I see this as a very big responsibility. I must confess that I was uh, somehow afraid when I saw my name on the Father's Day. But I pray that God will give me the grace to tell us what he has for us today in the name of Jesus. I want to congratulate the fathers. Happy Father's Day, everyone. Today is our day, and we thank God for giving us the privilege to be here again this year. It was just like yesterday that we had the last Father's Day, and behold, it is another one. We thank God for his grace. Praise the Lord. We have been looking at the team, go ye into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28:19. So today we will be looking at a very important aspect of this command, otherwise known as the Great Commission. And that is, be my witnesses from your family. From. I like that word, from your family. It would have just been, maybe, be my witnesses in your family. Then if it was like that, some people might just say that the ministry of witnessing should start and end in our family. But the word say from, so it shows that our family should be our launching pad before we can go out. Praise the Lord. The drama we watched has made my work very, very easy. In fact, the gospel has been preached already. So we'll just uh, summarize and then we pray. Praise the Lord. Now, charity, it is said, begins at home, isn't it? That is the normal thing. So it is therefore expected that before we take the gospel of salvation to the nations of the world, that we must first take care of our home fronts. It is a definite tra tragedy, and you must agree with me, that it will be a very big shame if we win the whole world and then lose our family members. 
It is a very, Jesus himself gave us an example. You see, the Bible tells us in uh, Luke 4, 14 to 16, that after the baptism of Jesus, just before the start of his ministry, he went into the wilderness to prepare himself. He fasted 40 days. And after that, he also went through temptations and overcame. And then the Bible tells us that Jesus, being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, returned to Galilee. And from Galilee, he went back to Nazareth. The Bible did not just say he went to Nazareth, but he was, the Bible was careful to note that Nazareth was the place where Jesus was brought up. So he went back to Nazareth. And we went further to see that, uh, that as his custom was, so he didn't just start that day, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue to worship. And there in the synagogue, he was given the scroll to read. He opened the book of Isaiah, and there, in his hometown, he declared the manifesto of his mission. He declared what he came to do. He declared his vision. He did not leave anyone in doubt of what his vision was. So Jesus began his earthly ministry in his hometown. He stated the mandate of his ministry amongst his people so that they understand him, so that they know where he is going. So that is uh, what we are also expected to do. We are expected to launch our ministry from our homes, from our families, from amongst those, those that know us, those that we love. That is the starting point. Praise the Lord. We'll be looking at some Bible passages. The first place we'll look at is Luke 24. We'll be look, uh, reading uh, verses 46, 47, and uh, 49. I'll read this one for now. So, so Luke 24, 46 says that thus it was written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the dead day. For the seven says, and that repentance and the remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So we see that there is no set limit to where we are expected to reach with the gospel. There is no set limit. The entire earth was given to us as a ministry ground. But the emphasis is that starting from Jerusalem. So there is no definite limit, but we are expected to have a starting place. And our immediate, immediate environment in this context, our family is our Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Then verse 49 says that, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power with the power from on high. So this instruction was also repeated in Acts of the Apostles, where we took our Bible text from, Acts chapter 1. I'll just read verse 4 and 8 
for lack of time. So we've read it before, so we'll just take verses 4 and 8. Verses 4 said, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Now, verse 8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, that is to the Gentile nations, and then to the ends of the earth. Praise the Lord. From these passages, we see that uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit is given primarily for something. You see, when this promise was first made, some of the disciples misunderstood that, uh, what Jesus was saying. You know, Jesus haven't died uh, uh, most of them lost hope, but then he resurrected and appeared to them several times. So they started having ideas concerning what, is, what was to come. So when Jesus now started talking about power again, so some of them thought that uh, the time has finally come for the Jews to be uh, set free from the captivity of the Romans. So they thought that Jesus was talking about political power. And that was why they asked him, Lord, is it now time for you to restore the Jewish nation? He thought he meant political power. And that is the same mistake some of us do today. When we hear about the Holy Spirit, we think that the Holy Spirit is given just to enable us satisfy some mundane desires. But the Bible is telling us that the primary reason why the Holy Spirit was given is to give us the ability, the capacity to be witnesses for God. Praise the Lord. And that was why Jesus started that statement. But, because they had brought up so many other reasons, Jesus told them that that was not the reason for the coming Holy Spirit. He said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit is come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that, was, that is the primary reason for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank God for our assembly. We have this privilege of worshipping in a place where the importance of the Holy Spirit is appreciated. And that is why from time to time, opportunity is given for, the, for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the truth is that for every form of Christian virtue, whether we are talking about revival, whether we are talking about the power to witness, whether we are talking about love amongst brethren, everything you can think about concerning Christian virtue, everything hinges and the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that drives this thing. So the Holy Spirit is the initiator and sustainer of every Christian virtue. Praise the Lord. We have already had two sessions this year. The first was in January 17th. And then the 
uh, recent one was in May 23, I suppose. Praise the Lord. So why must our ministry of soul winning start from our homes? Why? So God's desire for the Christian home in the first place is for our homes to be heaven on earth. God wants our home to be a model home where the will of God is done. That is his original plan for the Christian home. So if this purpose is achieved, then ultimately it translates to a healthy society, isn't it? It will also translate to a healthy nation and of course to a healthy world. So if we want our environment to be better, the simple answer is that we should look inwards, tidy up our home. If I tidy up my home, and you tidy up your home, and everybody tidies up his home, definitely our society will be better, and we have a peaceful and a better nation. Praise the Lord. So the terrible state of the society we now live in is a reflection of the state of our homes. Our brother Ebuka gave some very terrifying account of the things we see out there in the streets when he preached during the teen Sunday on the topic church in the streets. Those things were, were very frightening, but unfortunately, that is the truth of the things that happen around us. We saw part of it in the drama that we watched. A lot of violence. Drug, prostitution, all manner of criminalities. We now witness. Recently we started hearing about the known and the unknown government. So these people that carry out these atrocities, they did not drop from Mars or Jupiter. They are people that emanated from homes. Okay? And by the time they finish all these things, they go back to homes, families. So these are really things that are frightening, you know, but the, that God will begin to speak to us, to speak to our hearts on how to correct these anomalies. So the decay we see around us is evidence of failures in our homes. And the bulk of the blame will come to who? To us, the fathers. Because God has given us a responsibility. God has made us the head of our homes. The Bible says that if the foundation be destroyed, then what can the righteous do? If the homes, if the, uh, the, the fathers fail to do their work, the result is the things we see around us. But God will help us to begin to take corrections and to correct things where we have gone wrong in the name of Jesus. So, but what we see in many homes presently are the exact opposite of what God, who established families in the first place, intended it to be. Okay? When God designed the concept of family, there were things he had in mind. So let us look at some of these things, you know. Let us look at Proverbs 18.22. Praise the Lord. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The first step 
towards establishing a family is finding a wife, isn't it? And the Bible tells us that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. It did not just end there. There, there, there. Some promises are tied to it. The Bible says that he also obtains favor from the Lord. So when I looked at this passage critically, I would have thought that the Bible would have said, he who finds a good wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the God. But the Bible just says, he who finds a wife, meaning that every wife should be good, isn't it? So the Bible did not use any adjective to qualify the wife. It said that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And Proverbs 31 tells us who the ideal wife should be. We won't read it. It's a very popular passage. It describes who the ideal wife should be and calls that ideal wife a virtuous woman. But also in that Proverbs, in verse 10, the Bible asks a very pertinent question. It said, who can find a virtuous wife? Who can find a virtuous wife? I don't know whether anybody has an answer to this. Who can find a virtuous answer, a wife? The answer is nobody. Nobody can find a virtuous wife. See, a good wife is a gift of grace from God himself. It is a gift of grace from God himself. Because God, the Bible tells us that in the beginning that God created them male and female. So as God was creating Okezie, he was also creating someone that will complement Okezie and make that someone a good wife for Okezie. The same thing applies to everybody. God is a perfect creator and a perfect matchmaker. So there is no accident when it comes to God's creation. He has made everything beautiful. The Bible tells us that at the end of his creation, he looked and saw that everything he made was beautiful. So if we have problem, definitely the problem lies with us. Okay? So the God that created people have matched them. So it depends on what you do with that matching that now translates to what you have as a wife. Praise the Lord. So as I said, I said that, that finding a wife is a gift of grace from God himself. So the solution is that instead of focusing on finding that ideal wife, just focus on pleasing God. And once you do that, you know, God himself will lead you to her. It is God that leads you to your ideal wife. It is not your responsibility to find her. The responsibility is to go to God in prayer. Just focus yourself on pleasing God and he will lead you to your perfect partner. Praise the Lord. I'll tell you a, 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 a short story. Now, sometime in 1996, oh, sorry, 19, yes, it should be 1996, as a fresh medical graduate, I had just gotten a place to start my housemanship in UNTH. So I was supposed to resume on 
December 22nd. My first posting was supposed to be was to be obstetrics and gynecology. So I had to go to Labor Ward where the clinical office was to find out the shadow of my posting. So typically December 22nd, the hospital was virtually empty. Okay, so as I walked down the corridor of UNTH, excited, resuming job for the first time, the only thing in my mind was to do my housemanship, possibly do youth service, and then join the bandwagon of those traveling abroad, you know, for greener pasture. That was the only thing occupying my mind then. I was also a fresh Christian then. I, just, I, I was just about one year born again then. But um, I was very zealous. Okay, I spent a lot of time praying and then trying to find out what God really wants me to do. So that faithful day, as I walked down the corridor of, uh, towards the labor ward, I saw a lady approaching. I've never seen her before. I didn't even know her name. I knew she was a doctor because of her dressing and the stethoscope she had on her neck. So I was uh, approaching her. A voice, audible enough, just like the way I'm talking to you now, just came from behind. This will be your wife. I thought that somebody was standing before me. I thought I didn't see anybody. I was so baffled. I've, I've never experienced such a thing before. But uh, as she approached, I stopped her and then asked her where the roster was pasted. So she showed me, and that was just the interaction I had with her. That I didn't even know her name. I've never seen, seen her before. So I went and throughout that day I was so confused. I didn't know what all this was about because marriage was not even in my mind. Why will a house officer be thinking about marriage with a salary of 11,000 naira? It, it looks unreasonable. So that was not even what was bothering me. But I never forgot that voice. I kept thinking about it. What could this be? So sometime during the week, Another sister saw me and invited me for a fellowship, house officer's fellowship. You should know her, uh, sister Ngozi Anukam. Yes, she invited me for a house officer's fellowship. She was a lady I respected so much, so I obliged, accepted to attend. So I attended the fellowship, and amongst the people seated in that fellowship was that same sister. I became uncomfortable. Okay, I didn't know what all this was all about, you know, but somehow I just didn't want it. And then in the course of the fellowship, I also noticed that she was not, even if I wanted a wife, she didn't really fall into the category of who I, I definitely would have desired to talk to. First, she's a doctor. I never wanted to marry a doctor. And I didn't even see myself of having the capacity to compete with the foreign suitors. You know, those days, once a medical, even before graduating from the medical schools, there are so many people from abroad, you know, struggling. So it, and then I also saw what she struck me as someone that was uh, very uh, uh, assertive. So... That also made me afraid. So, but 
I just kept quiet. I didn't discuss this thing with anybody. I continued to pray about it. And uh, the more I prayed about it, you know, the more the pressure mounted. So I continued to wait until somehow we had a function to carry out. And the leader of the fellowship started pairing people. <laughs> so they paired the two of us. That made the matters worse. So honestly, I became so afraid. So we carried out the function successfully. But something struck me in the course of that meeting. For the very first time in my life, I saw a lady I could stand and speak with for up to five minutes without being G3, without sweating. Okay, because uh, I went to a boys' school, I never really had opportunity to interact with a uh, female. And then, even in my class in the medical school, we just had a handful of ladies. So, talking to people of the opposite sex was a very big challenge to me then. But somehow for her, I realized that I could relate with her freely. I saw myself free to discuss any, everything with her. So somehow, I felt that that voice was actually a voice from above. So I still kept these things to myself. But one day I had the courage to speak out, and I did. And by the grace of God, it worked. And today, that lady happens to be the perfect wife, one of the best wives I would have ever wished for. Praise the Lord. So, a perfect wife is a gift from God. It is not our respons responsibility to go searching. Just go to God and then focus on pleasing God. And he will just lead you to her. God is the perfect matchmaker. Praise the Lord. Let us look at another passage of the Bible. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 18. Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel. From the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. Praise the Lord. After finding a wife, then you start having children to make a family. And here again the Bible says that behold... I and the children whom the Lord had given me are for signs and wonders. Praise the Lord. Psalm 127, 3-5. I'll read. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man. Who has his quiver full of them? They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with the enemies at the gate. Praise the Lord. So, children are the heritage. Children are inheritance. That is your apportioned destiny, you know, allotted portion from the Lord. So, the children are supposed to make a, a happy home. Okay, it says that happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. Praise the Lord. So, having seen these promises, starting from finding a good wife, to the promises, the declaration of God concerning the children 
that he has blessed a family with. So we now begin to ask ourselves, why do we still have children that have turned out to be torn in the flesh of their parents and terror to their environment like we saw in the drama? Why do we still have such people? After all, in Proverbs 10.28, the Bible says that the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow. These things are God's blessing. Your wife, your children, they are blessings from God. So why do we still have children that are torn in the flesh of their parents and a source of terror to the environment that they live in? Why? The Bible tells, uh, uh, the reason is that these children are like raw material. They are like raw material. Okay, for them to be useful, and showcase the potential that God has deposited in them, they have to go through the process of refining. Okay? Our children, they are like crude oil. We all, most of all of drive cars, you cannot get a crude oil and pour it straight into your fuel, what it, uh, into your car. What will happen? It will knock the engine, isn't it? So our children, they are like crude oil. That crude oil has the potential of producing very beautiful things, very useful things. <coughs> Excuse me. Starting from the fuel that is used in flying the aeroplane, to the fuel that we use in our cars, to the diesel that run our generators, down to the kerosene that we use, the coal tar for making roads, and even the, this thing, you know, the paraffin oil that is used in making candles. These are beautiful things, but hidden in that crude oil. Unless you subject that crude oil to the process of refining, you are not get, going to get all these useful products. So that is the way th th these children are. The Bible tells us that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Just like crude oil, the foolishness is bound up, is tied to them, like with a rope, is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of correction will drive it far from him. So when we see rod here, it's not just talking about the physical rod. The type uh, that the uh, Reverend Ezra talked about the other day, that one is important too. The physical rod. But more important is the spiritual rod. The spiritual rod that we apply when we go down on our knees and pray for our children. Okay, so we really have a lot of role to play in refining these children, in bringing out the potentials that are hidden in them. One of the prophecies we had, I think it was during the teen Sunday again, where God warns us that these children that he had just showcased a little of the abundance he has deposited on them. And there was a charge on us, their parents, to Handle them with care so that we will be able to harness all the hidden potentials that are in them. Praise the Lord. So the responsibility of refining them falls on us, their parents, and especially on us, the, the fathers. The Bible tells us that uh, in Proverbs 22.6, bring up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Praise the Lord. So how should we minister to our family members? How should we minister to our family members? 
Okay, number one thing is that we must become disciples ourselves. We must become disciples ourselves. We have to be born again. Okay? See, for us, you cannot give what you do not have. Now, it's almost impossible to hide your true nature from members of your family. You can hide it from outsiders. You can hide it from venerable. You can hide it from other members of the church. But it is almost impossible to hide your true nature from your family because they are close enough to know who you really are. Remember the parable of that fig tree that Jesus saw from afar. Very beautiful. He was hungry. He looked. I think it was in Mark. Mark 11, 12 to 14. So Jesus was hungry. With his, so he looked. From afar he saw that fig tree. Very beautiful. So they approached. They thought they were going to get something from it. But when Jesus got near he found out that the beautiful fig tree was empty, devoid of fruits. That is what happens when we stay close to people. That is when you will be able to... Our family members, they know us very well. You cannot hide your true nature from them. So unless they see that change in you, then it might be impossible to impact positively on them. Praise the Lord. So the second thing is that we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 24 verse 49 and Acts 4.1, we have read those passages. Jesus commanded his disciples not to depart from Jerusalem until they are filled with the Holy Spirit. So the power, the capacity... The ability to witness to members of our families also comes from the Holy Spirit. So we must always remember that it is not our responsibility to transform every anyone. It is not our responsibility. It is the work of God through the working of the Holy Spirit. Our responsibility is to minister the word of God to them in the power of the Holy Spirit so that it will make meaning, so that it will achieve his, its result. So, you cannot do that effectively if you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let us look at what the Bible said concerning John the Baptist in the context of the role of the Holy Spirit in the ministry of witnessing. So, please, uh, somebody should get Luke 1. 15 to 17. I prefer we read it from the Message Bible. So please, if anybody has the Message Bible, you should read it from there. If you don't have, then I'll read from here. Message Bible. Does anybody have Message Bible? Or should I read from here? Okay, please. Luke 1, 15 to 17. He will drink neither wine nor beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. From the moment he leaves his mother's womb, he will turn many sons and daughters of Israel back to their God. He will herald God's arrival in the style and strength of Elijah, soften the hearts of parents to children, 
and kindle devout understanding among hardened skeptics, he will get the people ready for God. Praise the Lord. Say that he will drink neither wine nor beer. So are you a vessel worthy for the habitation of the Holy Spirit? So wine and beer was used there as signs of impurity, things that could make one unfit for Holy, Holy Spirit's habitation. So the Holy Spirit cannot dwell in a polluted vessel. So are there things that make you or us unsuitable for the habitation of the Holy Spirit? So many things, anger, malice, hatred, so many things, lies, all manner of things that we take for granted. So if those things are found in us, it makes us unfit for the habitation of the Holy Spirit. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment he leaves his mother's womb. So that he will turn many sons and daughters of Israel back to God. We live in a time when there is so much turning away from God. Okay? Uh, some homes are filled with children that cannot tolerate the things of God. But it is only the Holy Spirit that will turn these children, that will turn their hearts back to God. Then another uh, striking thing is that, is that, that the Holy Spirit will soften the hearts of parents to their children. Is your heart hardened against any of your child? What has hardened, you know, we have parents that cannot stand the sight of their children because of some perceived wrongs, because of some uh, 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 perceived shortfall in, in the character of those children. So, but the Bible tells us that it is also the work of the Holy Spirit to soften these hearts. So if we allow the Holy Spirit into our hearts, it will soften our hearts against these children. So he will also kindle devout understanding among hardened septics. So, so many things have turned some of our children, some members of our families into hardened septics. They doubt everything that is spiritual. They have examples to give why those things are not true because they lack understanding. But the Holy Spirit will also kindle devout understanding among these hardened septics. But most importantly, he will get the people ready for God. It is the Holy Spirit that prepares the hearts of people and makes those hearts ready to receive the salvation of our, 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 our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Remember the prodigal sons? The, the, son, the Bible tells us that he went to a distant land. There he lived a riotous life. But one day the Bible tells us that he came to his senses. The Bible tells us that the prodigal son came to his senses. So that was the Holy Spirit at work. And the moment, that very moment, 
he said, I will arise and go back to my father. And he did. And another striking thing is that for the case of that prodigal son, as probably the Bible didn't say, but from inference you find out that despite the fact that that son wronged the father, the father never gave up on him. The father continued to pray unto God concerning the return of his son. And that was why when the son was still very far, the father sighted him and then ran to him. He did that because every day he would go and stand and watch whether God has answered his prayer concerning his son. And one day, he witnessed an answered prayer. He saw his son from a distance returning. So he went. That is the father's love for a child. That is the type of love that Jesus himself, that God himself has for us. He never gave up on anyone that he has created. So no matter how far that son of yours has wandered, no matter how far that daughter of yours has deviated from your set objective for him or, or, or her, never give up. Continue to look unto God concerning him or her. One day that prayer will be heard. And that the child, you will see the child from a distance returning back to you. Just like that prodigal son. Praise the Lord. So these two foundations, becoming a disciple by being born again, which qualifies us for becoming filled with the Holy Spirit, they are the foundation upon which every other thing we need to do in order to be effective witnesses for God in our families are based. So every other thing revolves around these two conditions, that we are born again and that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So the third point is that we have to develop godly lifestyle. Okay? Is it possible to develop godly lifestyle if you are not born again? Is it possible to develop godly lifestyle if you are not filled with the Holy Spirit? It's not possible. So, we also need to develop a godly lifestyle. Psalm 101 verse 2 tells us, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Psalm 101 2. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. This is a passage that I love so much. Regularly, I recite this to myself. I recite it to myself. I always tell myself, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. So, in essence, that passage is telling us to be exemplary father. Be an exemplary father. Be a role model to your household. Be bold enough to tell your children to emulate you, even as they see you emulate Christ. So if you are able to achieve it, you are en route to achieving the purpose of God for your family. Praise the Lord. Then we also need to be prayerful because we see we can be all 
that we have said that we should be concerning our children and still fail. So the responsibility of raising children, of having godly family, is a spiritual warfare. And the Bible tells us that in spiritual warfare, that the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. So these principalities are everywhere. From the primary school where the children attend to the secondary school, even in the university, that is where these principalities have their headquarters. So we really need to do a lot praying for our children because they mix up with these people. So it is important that we make our time to pray for them. The Bible described Job in Job 1 as a blameless, upright man and one who feared God. So the Bible tells us in Job 1 that Job had seven sons and three daughters. That is ten children. I don't know how many of us have up to ten children here. Does anybody have up to ten children? I have three. I don't know whether anybody has up to ten. But the Bible tells us that Job has ten children. Then his business empire was also very large. You can see this in Job 1.3. Job's business empire was so vast. So from every standard, Job was a very busy man, Isn't, wasn't he? He was a very busy man. But despite his busy schedule, Job still had time for his family. The Bible tells, told us that, uh, or tells us that Job still had time to observe the activities of his children. How well do you know your children? Do you know who their friends are? Do you know the, their hobbies, what they like doing? How well do you know your children? We thank God for that father that had time to check out the content of the bag of his daughter. Do you have time to do that? You can only do that when you are around said that Job had time to observe the activities of his children. He knew that his children, they loved partying. So after each of those party sessions, he will organize deliverance ministry for them. Because in his mind, perhaps in the course of partying, they might have offended God. Do you bother about the spiritual standing of your children? Does it bother you? The Bible tells us that Job will rise up early in the morning on daily basis to offer bond offering and prayers for each, for each of his children. Do you have time to pray for your children? So these are things we should be asking ourselves. I'm not asking you. As I'm saying this, I'm also asking myself. Do we have time to pray for our children? The Bible also tells us that Job had time to act as both the chief priest and an intercessor 
for his family. These are God's expectations from each of us. We have to play these roles very well in order to win these children over for God. Praise the Lord. So, if you have unbelieving children, there is still an opportunity for you to plead with God and then intercede with Him for their salvation. Now, for the young parents, for the young parents, it is wise to develop a bedside routine for your children. When they go to bed, it is wise for you lay hands on them. Pray for them. Let them hear you pray for them. Let them know that you are a prayerful father. It will influence their life. Let them know that you care about them. Nothing will gladden the heart of a child than to get the father. Not just the mother, the father lay hands on her or him and say a word of prayer before that child sleeps. It will help. It will do a lot in Shaping, shaping that child and make that child to always look up to you. And then it will also inculcate the habit of prayer upon that child. Praise the Lord. Then when the children grow up and leave home, do not end a prayer session without calling them by their names and praying for them individually. We should praise and thank God always for every member of our family. That is our own form of sacrifice. Job sacrificed bulls and ram. But we cannot do that now. But whenever we praise God on behalf of our children, we are raising sacrifices of praise on their behalf. God hears such prayers. And he will remember those prayers at the opportune time. Praise the Lord. So effective parenting requires prayer. God has made us, as the men, chief priests in our homes. So how many of us will be marked present in our duty posts? If God was to take a roll call, how many of us will be found doing just that, becoming chief priests in our, uh, 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 in our homes? Are we like the man that the wife was begging to spend some time with the family in prayer. But he had better things according to him. Business. Business business opportunities that he needed to meet. So let us uh, reconsider our ways and be sure that we take seriously these responsibilities that have been entrusted upon us. So our responsibilities towards our children do not just end in paying their fees and providing their other material needs. Even more important is our responsibility to pray for them. Not just for God to bless and protect them. We should regularly intercede for their souls and salvation. Praise the Lord. Another point is that you have to love your children. We have to, you have to love your children. You have to make these children your friend. You saw what the little girl did because the father has developed a relationship with her as a daughter. She had the freedom 
to even discuss mundane things, social things around her with the father. Your daughter will not discuss such with you if you have not made her your friend. So we need to love our children. We need to bring them near and then make them feel free with us. It is only in the atmosphere of that freedom that they can open up to us and make you understand the things that are happening around them, even when you are not around. Praise the Lord. Then we must consciously build in them the capacity to love God. This must be done consciously. We have to build, start from the early age to build in them the capacity to love God. So we saturate our home environment with spiritually rich materials like CDs, books, Bibles, all sorts of Bibles, interesting things that will begin to build the capacity in them, the capacity to love God in them. You see, these things are very important because they act, they create opportunity for you to open up discussions with them. Now, if you've bought a very good Christian CD and dropped in the house, you could just come in, have you watched this CD? He says, yes. What did you learn from it? So an opportunity to, for you to minister has just opened up. So we have to develop that habit, inculcate them in them the, 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 the capacity to love God. Praise the Lord. Then encourage them to desire and participate in spiritually impacting activities both at home and in school. So we have to encourage them. Even when they are not with us, we could call on the phone, ask them how they are doing, ask them which fellowship on campus they belong to, find out what they are doing, what roles are they playing in, those, in the fellowship. If they know you will call to, to find out, they will definitely be part. But if you just have a nonchalant attitude about those things you don't call, you don't even ask, then they can join any group. And at the end, the, 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 the repercussion will come back to us. So we have to endeavor to check on them regularly to know how they are coping. We have to do that. Praise the Lord then we should also be patient with them. Okay? We have to. We need to inculcate that habit. It's not easy, but we need it. God is patient with us. So it is expected that we should be patient. You don't write off your child, no matter how bad things are. You don't just write the child off. We've given several instances concerning that the prodigal son, his father never gave up on him. Okay? So we don't write off anybody. We have to continue, no matter how bad, no matter how serious the situation of that child is, or any other member of your family. Don't give up. Be patient. Be prayerful. And then one day, the Holy Spirit will touch that, that child, and there will be a turning around. Lastly, we should not be slack in discipline. Okay, we should not fall victim to the error of Eli the prophet who failed to discipline his children. 
and at the end of the day, his reign as the chief priest of Israel ended in a very bad way. So we should not be slack with discipline. We have to be firm when it is required that we should be firm and then discipline our children with love and that will help shaping them and make them the people that uh, we truly desire that they become. Praise the Lord. Then there are some hindrances to effective family history, uh, ministry. Some hindrances. I'll just go through them for lack of time. Compromise. Compromise. So these are hindrances. At times, without knowing it, we'll exhibit some spirit of compromise before our children. They overhear us when we make certain phone calls. You are at home. And then somebody calls you. Tell the person that you are in the supermarket. And then that, the, 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 the child will hear you. Tomorrow you will ask the child not to tell lies. Okay, so he won't take you serious. So compromise. At times we even compromise thinking that we are helping these children. Okay, now we can compromise. Uh, they they, they said uh, that uh, the... Uh, a thing that is invoked is a sorting in order to get into the university, sorting to get placement for housemanship, sorting to do, and then this child presents this issue of sorting. And just because you want to be a real father, a macho father, you compromise and then you join to sort in order to help that child. Then tomorrow, will you have the moral justification to tell that child not to cheat? So we should be mindful of some of the things we do. See, now, because of the crisis all over, very soon, youth service postings will start. And then some parents will come for you to forge a medical report for them so that their child will not be posted to the north. Some of us will compromise and do these things. Okay, so compromise is a very big barrier to effective family uh, uh, ministry. So we have to endeavor to show ourselves as good examples to these ones. No matter how pressing the need is, we have to restrain our, ourselves from compromising our Christian standards so we have the moral justification to correct them when they do wrong. Praise the Lord. Another hindrance is strained marital relationship. Okay, so if you have a strained relationship with your wife, definitely you will not be an effective minister in your home. So I don't know how many, uh, what our relationship with our wives are. Okay, you cannot pray effectively if you have a strained relationship with your wife. You cannot model your children in the way of God if those children witness fights between you and your wife. Okay? So if the relationship between us and our wives are strained, definitely there is nothing. We cannot make any headway in raising God godly children. Praise the Lord. 
then other commitments like our careers. You see, the very busy man chasing business all over the place with little or no time for the family. Then ministries. See the wife reaching to the whole world. You say that, uh, that uh, her mission is to take the gospel to the whole world, but no time for the children. It is the daughter that we cook for the family, the daughter we go to the market, the daughter we wash the clothes, do everything. No time for the family. So that is not the, the, the destiny, you know. That is not the mandate of Christ when he asks us to take the gospel. He wants us to start from our home. So ministries, our ministries can also be a barrier for effective uh, family uh, witnessing. Then social entanglements. Okay, some of us belong to some social clubs, sports club, all manner of clubs. You finish work, from there you drive straight to the clubhouse and then you come back very late, at times drunk. By then the children would have slept. How will you have time to raise up godly children if you spend all your time doing these things? So some social entanglements can also be a very big barrier to effective uh, family ministry. Politics. Politics. Some of us are deeply into politics that nothing else matters to us. So we, I'm not saying that politics is bad, but these things should be balanced so that in the midst of all this, we do not lose the primary responsibilities that God has entrusted on us. Then, fear of rejection, especially when extended family members are involved. Okay? You are afraid to minister to them because you don't want them to start avoiding you. You don't want them to say, You know, you just don't want that confrontation. Okay? So it can also be a barrier. Christ himself was rejected in his hometown, you remember? But uh, it did not make him give up. He persisted. And at the end, even his uh, mother and his brethren became disciples. So we should not give up. Even when they make some rejection remarks on us initially, it should not make us give up. We have to persist. And if we do, we might eventually win them over to God. Praise the Lord. So, if we want to make the world a better place, okay? So, we start with the man you see in the mirror, isn't it? When you stand in the mirror, who do you see? You see yourself. So, you start that change from within. You give your life. You need to become born again. You need to submit yourself for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And then you'll be ready to begin the work of her ministry from your own household and then you can launch out. So do you have the capacity to raise godly family? Do you have that capacity? Are you born again? So if you are not, it's an opportunity. This is another opportunity for you to say, God, here I, I am. I am willing to turn my heart over to you. I'm willing to begin to do the things that you want me 
to do in my family. But first of all, I want Jesus to reign in my heart. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that I can have that capacity to carry out this responsibility effectively. Now, can you confidently say as Joshua did that for me and my household, we will serve the living Lord? Can you confidently say that? So, are you a disciple yourself? As we bow down and begin to pray, are you a disciple? If you are not, are you willing to become one? Is another opportunity. Today is Father's Day. And the best gift you can give to your children is turning your heart to God so that God will give you the enablement to be the type of father they desire to have. Some of them have been praying to have a perfect father. Are you willing to become that perfect father for them? Are you a mother? Are you playing your role very, very well? Do you have the capacity to influence your children the way God will want you to? You cannot do that if the Holy Spirit is not in you. So we have another opportunity. Are you a young one? Are you a child? This call is for everyone. We cannot build a godly family on our own. We need the help of God. So we can only start by asking Jesus into our hearts. It is only the presence of Jesus and the accompanying power of the Holy Spirit that can create that environment. For us to have a, an ideal home. The model home where the will of God is done. We ask that God will bless us. Even as we make this definite commitment towards him in the name of Jesus.